As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna, as we are a uh, offensive line appreciation show uh, with our guests, uh, with the exception of Mike Tirico and Grace Rayner. Uh, we're pleased to welcome an Eric McLean, former Clemson offensive lineman, to talk, because really we can't talk enough about last weekend. The game was that good. Um, Eric, first off, thanks for coming on the show. And then secondly, I guess, what? how did you take in uh, Saturday night? Man, great game. You know, was obviously here in, in the home studio. Uh, so got to watch every second of it, uh, you know, on, on our TV and and really just, I mean, ultimately delivered time and time again. Uh, two great teams. Uh, really, you know, I tweeted out, you know, the, these are, you know, two of the, if not the two best teams in the country, just duking it out every single play, offensive, defensively, special teams. I mean, guys flying all over the field, kickers, the MVPs of the game there for a while. Uh, and was just, you know, what else could you ask for in a top five matchup except for what we got? Double overtime, coming down to the wire, just a, a really, really good game. Probably going to be the best of the season, you know, outside of some crazy postseason matchups that we get to see hopefully in a playoff or, or even national championship game. In addition to O-Line U, we've also unwittingly become the ACC Network pod between you, Jordan Cornette. Muffin McGraw just got hired there this week. She right, joined us in the on. summer. <laughs> and Notre Dame, of course, is in the ACC this year. So we're fitting right in. Uh, Eric, you played in that 2015 game in the Hurricane uh, that you guys won by two. Um, different game, different circumstances. Clemson wasn't what it is now. Uh, Notre Dame was a completely different program from what it is now. Um, and the, the way it played out as far as defense versus, you know, high scoring this week it was completely different. That said, I mean, having been a part of that game, having watched this game uh, on TV Saturday, I mean, do you see similarities as far as, you know, just being in a big stage like that, uh, knowing that your entire season could get down to one play? I mean, as you're watching that and as you look back on your experiences with Clemson, what, what's kind of going through your mind? Yeah, I had all kinds of 2015 vibes, you know, watching that game. Just a little different, just more high-powered offense. And, of course, no hurricane to limit what you can do offensively. Uh, I was having all kinds of flashbacks. And, again, coming down to that last drive, uh, you know, similarly to what Notre Dame did, except for scored a touchdown to tie it up. You know, they didn't have to have that two-point conversion, uh, walk down the field, 
just really great execution. Uh, and like you said, Matt, I, I was I was thinking 2015 all over again. Uh, and, and just similarly enough, another game uh, that these two play in the regular season that just delivers time and time again. So as you mentioned, why don't you guys just go ahead, sign the dotted line. Let's do this thing every year. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for us. Can't, can't, can't argue enough. Three in one year might happen this year. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What, uh, I was curious what surprised you about the game most from a Clemson point of view. I think there was a lot of oxygen burnt on, um, you know, the quarterback position, you know, from Lawrence to Uyunga Lale, but, and probably not enough on Skalski, um, you know, in the front seven. So what, I mean, what surprised you most about the way Clemson played, whether it'd be good or bad? Yeah. You know, just to address that, I, I'm with you. I, I was 100% convinced that that was the bigger piece missing. Those guys on defense, your two starting linebackers, your two of your best defensive players, uh, and then a big defensive tackle up front. I, I thought that those three were a much bigger deal not being available than Trevor Lawrence was. And, and again, not to say that he's not the best player in the country, but DJ is just you know, one of the going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, maybe one of the best players in the country one day. Uh, and, and so when you see that, it, it was not surprising, but it, it was, I guess. I thought that Clemson would be able to, uh, you know, slow down the run more than they did. Now, of course, outside of that giant 65-yard run, um, you know, they did limit them. And, and I think it was three yards a rush, something of that, when you do the math and take that out. But still, I mean, offensive line-wise, Notre Dame did did fantastic and, and really hat for a hat in pass pro. I mean, tremendous. Uh, the more I watch these guys, uh, the more I fall in love with them. And if, if they're not winning the Joe Moore Award at the end of the season, throw that award away because these guys are so talented, so smart. I mean, intelligent-wise, you saw them be able to pick up this, these, these blitz, these stunts. And Kyron Williams had a huge part to do with that too. I, I think he blocked – you know, better than any running back I've ever seen uh, in, in pass protection and really was, you know, Book's personal protector back there. So, you know, to answer the question, long-winded to get to this point, um, you, you know, I, it was about what I expected. Outside of, you know, the fact that Notre Dame ran the ball the way they did, this really played, you know, to my expectations where you have two great teams if, you know, Notre Dame is, is willing to step up to the plate, which they more than were, uh, that that's what we were going to get. So I think really it was more surprise on the Notre Dame side, Pete, to, to look at the team speed. You know, overall, I think that's been the biggest thing for Notre Dame when you look in the past, they get in these big games and they're just overwhelmed so quickly. Uh, these guys were, were able to run all skill positions defensively. I mean, Wu and Kyle Hamilton, I mean, better than advertised. You know, obviously you see the film of these guys and you – you watch how they play and the things that they do, but until they do it against number one, until they do it against a team that I am very familiar with how fast and speed and scheme and things that they do, until I see that at a high – I mean, those two guys, I mean, they, they, they impacted the game unbelievably. I mean, it seemed like everywhere Travis Etienne went, Kyle Hamilton was right behind him. Every time there was some type of attempt to do an outside zone, speed, pitch, whatever – Wu was right there blowing it up, and, and he knew it. He, he knew it was coming. So here's a little tip for Clemson when it comes uh, December 19th, if you guys play again. Don't do outside plays to Wu. That, that'll be a great positive for you. Audible, whatever you got to do, change it. Uh, so, Pete, for me, it, it was the speed, and, and it was jumping off the screen 
uh, from Notre Dame and, and was really just good to see because that's what, that's what you have to do to win championships now is have that caliber of athlete. Eric, the, the Clemson offense line was young coming in. They got a little bit more banged up uh, Saturday night against Notre Dame. Um, and obviously at the end, the game was decided essentially uh, on a pair of sacks and double overtime. I mean, you played the position there. Um, you know that program as well as anyone. What does this offense need to do to, to either help that line out or, or what can that line do to, to get better uh, with only so many games left in the season? Yeah, you know, Matt, it, it's an interesting position that I, I think is – the hardest to grade live. It's the hardest to see, and and it's easy to say, oh yeah, offensive line me- totally messed up. Didn't get, didn't block anybody, missed everybody. But when you go back, and, and I actually just did this, I went back and watched every single play, offense and defense for both sides, and, and graded. I wanted to grade the offensive line because I'd heard so many people, so many people asking me, what's wrong with the offensive line? Why are they, you know, so bad? And you look at Impass Pro; they played lights out. There's no question about it. You mentioned the two sacks to end the game. Well, what were those plays? One was a fake screen. So you're doing all this delay, all this trick, and they just overload it. You know, Wu has either he was spying or it was a delayed blitz, and he did a fantastic job just forcing a sack. You know, the center puts his head down on Wu. Wu's going to kill you. And so that, that one, you see the sack there. It was a long developing play. The very next one, it was a fake pitch to the outside, you're pulling an offensive lineman, and there is a four technique, uh, you know, number nine, a guy who is an absolute war daddy. He's in a two-point stance. He's coming, and you're expecting a center to fill block on this guy when his ears are pinned back and he's doing nothing but coming forward. You have no chance. So so really, Matt, from my opinion there is it, it wasn't great play calling to end the game. Let's play straight up. Let's do either max pro or, or have a tight end or a running back chip. Let's just drop back and, and see what your quarterback can do because I do not – although it is on the offensive line, I think scheme could have really helped you there. Notre Dame had great defensive calls. Uh, but when you look in, in hole at this offensive line, I think the interior ha- has really been a, a point uh, that you could say is a weakness. Th- those guys just – they have to figure it out. There, there's too many late misses, not coming off double teams quick enough that ultimately this game – you know, when you had the speed and power that, that Notre Dame did on defense, it, it ultimately hurts you. So it's going to be interesting to see, Matt, do they make any changes, especially if Matt Bockhorst is is seriously hurt. I don't think anybody has said anything about his injury yet. Uh, but do they move guys around? You know, what does that look like? Uh, because they also have a freshman in Walker Parks who primarily backs up the left tackle that when he got in, he made a difference. I mean, on power blocks, on double teams, he was removing – you know, guys on that Notre Dame defensive line, which Clemson, you know, for the most part all game was just hat for a hat, not moving people out of the way. So if he's the type of guy that can come in, you've got to move folks around because, again, when you get to that championship level that I just mentioned, you've got to have your best five out there. I was curious about the other side of the ball as you rewatch the game, the the Tommy Reese-Brent Venables matchup, because certainly on paper, Venables has been doing this forever. Reese has been doing it for seven games. Um <laughs> And I thought, I really thought Reese was outstanding, not just with the wristbands, um, but breaking some tendencies. They took more deep shots than they have all year, really double, uh, I think, the next highest total of 20 yard shots. Um, what did, what do you sort of see from, you know, you know, Venable's defense, you practice against it forever. Like, was that, 
did that surprise you that Notre Dame was sort of able to sort of move them around and have as much as success as they did? And I'm not saying that they put up 52 points in regulation. Um, right. They stalled out in the red zone quite a bit, but I thought that that the Reese Venables matchup was. I mean, I, I'd give the edge to Reese, which was not something that I thought was going to happen when the game started. Right, and again, when it's 47 points, I mean, it's it's hard to argue 500 yards. I mean, yeah, it's it would be a silly argument to try and say that that Venables won that battle. Now, I think when you look at it, Coach Reese did a fantastic job, like you said, breaking tendencies, having you know tight ends all over the place, starting in, going out, vice versa, running some that. I mean, that first. 60-yard touchdown where where they did kind of that zone stretch where you know they might have a tight end lined up on the opposite side not where you're expecting the power to be or the strong side and guys just hat for a hat the deep shots the having confidence in book to say hey look man you have got to deliver on these plays for us to win this game and, and for book to be able to step up and do so Pete it was very impressive to see and and the fact that you know this is his seventh game and this is one of the best defensive coordinators if not the best defense coordinator in the country, to dial up the plays, to dial up the points, the yardage that they were able to. It, it was a tremendous team effort and, and a great job calling that game. What was the dynamic like all week and in the aftermath between you and a uh, colleague, Jordan Cornett? <laughs> it was fun, man. You, you know, just going back and forth for us to both kind of be, uh, you know, homers for a week, if you will, and, and to really just lay it out there. Uh, I had my my uh, player of the game for the Notre Dame game banner up, uh, just little different things that we were going back and forth, uh, you know, obviously going on with. It was a lot of fun. And then he he was obviously a great sport after the fact. And we both would have been, uh, you know, try to be professional as you can and, and to go on and do a show because we, we had to, you know, do an hour wrap-up show after after that game goes on. And uh, it, it was fun throughout the game. You know, obviously, you guys started early, and, and he had a lot of trash talking, and then Clemson kind of roars back, uh, and then the overtimes, just back and forth. So it, it was a lot of fun, and, and it's cool when you can have, you know, buddies and, and friends that are on each side and kind of have our, our day and go back and forth. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You sort of hinted at it. Um, Pat Narduzzi talked about it this week, the whole like half in, half out thing. Obviously, Notre Dame's all in this year. Like, how, I'm curious around the ACC how, you know, coaches, maybe administrators, I don't know who you're, the, the people you talk to, how they feel about how this is going from an ACC perspective this year. You know, I, I think it's been great. And, and the biggest thing for me, when there were whispers of this happening, what was the ref share and sharing money and every, every money, not just the NBC money, you know, everything is split, you know, equally between these teams. And I thought if that didn't happen, if there was no ref share with the, the NBC and whatever other money uh, from Notre Dame that they decided to do, I, I thought that that would be really silly and, and make no sense, you know, for it to be kind of, we'll scratch your back, you come in for free type thing. So I think once that happened, Everybody should be excited. This is this is one of the best brands in college football. This is one of the uh, you know greatest blue bloods. When you talk about helmet wise, when that gold helmet comes anywhere, you know what it is. And for them to be undefeated, to to have beaten 
uh, you know, the team that has won it six years in a row now this league in, in Clemson and, you know, a possible rematch on the horizon. I think it's been nothing but good. Now, of course, everybody wants them to, to commit and be full-time, and that, that doesn't go uh, without any angst or, or people wanting that to happen, even with myself. I, I think it's a great move. I think the independent play is overdue. I, I think it's, it's not cool anymore, but maybe it is. When you count that NBC check rolling in every other year, I, I totally get it. But I just think there's more of an advantage when you're with a conference. You know, you, you look at if you happen to finish number two, where are you going? You're going to the Orange Bowl, like these automatic bids, these things that happen. I just think there's better opportunity for Notre Dame to full-time come on, be a part of this conference. And then even you talk about a great rivalry emerging. I mean, we could look if this thing happens time and time again, where Clemson and Notre Dame are playing each other. We could be 30 years down the road and saying, wow, this is one of the best all time. And so I think that there, there's just, Pete, in my opinion, too many positives to not do it. Clemson's only won five straight ACC titles, unless you're predicting they're going to be. Oh, Notre five. Dame, there you uh, go. I uh, lost already, track. Which... There's so many rings, so many things. I lost track. <laughs> I do find a lot of irony in this whole discussion. I spoke with Pete about this. Everyone says, join a conference, join a conference, join a conference. Notre Dame was independent this year. They just beat Clemson. I, they can almost sleepwalk to the playoff. Right. Now they need to play in the ACC title game and do it again. And if they lose, they might not get in. So I do think there's. You know, every year is different. Uh, last year, they got stuck in the Camper World Bowl despite being 11-2 and two when they were so much better than everyone in the ACC. Orange Bowl. Clemson. See, that's what I'm saying. Uh, You're right. That This is a bad year to explain that because <laughs> if you do happen to, to lose in a rematch, you know, it would you would never join a conference ever. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's just weird. I mean, I don't it, – It's every year is different. It, it, it's, no doubt. It's just – and, you know, if they're, if they're in the Coastal full-time – they might only play these guys once every seven years. I mean, with the way the ACC schedule alignment is, it's just Notre Dame's playing everybody more than they're playing right. each other for the most right. part. At least uh, regular season-wise. You would expect them to meet uh, every year, right, in Charlotte uh, for that go. championship. But you're right. Every year is so different, and it's there's better arguments, some than not. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We, we yeah, saw because no, I was going to say, like, they, you know, they play Miami two times in a four-year stretch, and they play Notre Dame – assuming they meet in Charlotte four times in a four-year stretch. So it's it's sort of weird to me, like, the argument that they should join. Like, I love – like, the Clemson series has been awesome, um, and it seems like it's going to go on whether they're in or or just half in because they, right. ha- they have a home-and-home coming up in 22-23. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic there because it's – you know, if you're Notre Dame, I think you're looking at your schedule and be like, the USC Stanford ones were tough to swallow, not coming off. They were supposed to be Wisconsin and Lambeau Field. That would have been awesome. Navy and Ireland, that would have been great. Um, and I it, and I think a lot of Notre Dame fans up until last Saturday were kind of pointing at Notre Dame's schedule as a, a pretty strong case not to join because this the strength of schedule was so low. Um, right. You know that there is some randomness in there where they play North Carolina at the end of November and not in October, they don't play Miami this year. Florida state is down, but, uh, I don't, but I, but I totally agree. I, I feel like the, the hook of going to the championship game has, you know, given this, given a little more juice around here. Um, I don't know if they would want that, that juice might not be worth the squeeze of, of joining all in, but like for this year, I think it's kind of a cool, it's a cool dynamic. Yeah, no doubt. And I think another interesting thing to look at is, 
you know, what does the ACC do moving forward? Are they going to totally get rid of these divisions, which I am 100% behind? You know, I think you just put the two best teams in the in the championship. And then, of course, people play each other more. There, there's just – you get the best product at the very end. So I'm hoping that this season, you know, just sparks a lot of things for a lot of people and there's some serious changes that are made moving forward. That's a great segue to what I want to ask as a, a member of the ACC Network, Eric who uh, comes from a school that has one, if not two candidates currently up for the job. Who do you think is an ex-ACC commissioner? And uh, frankly, that would dictate, I think, a lot of the conversations we're having in the future. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see where do they go, you know, with that. I think that, you know, I've heard, obviously, Radakovich's name a lot. And I think that he is a guy that can make a lot of money for the ACC. He just is so forward-thinking. I think that he has a, a really good shot to take this conference to, you know, new, new heights and and do things that maybe haven't even been considered. So I think that he's, he's a great one. You know, other people that I've heard it's, you know, it's obviously so far removed from who I've been a part of and what I've done that it's, it's hard to make light of, of who's for real and who's not. Uh, But regardless, you know, I know the conference is going to do a fantastic job bringing in that replacement and uh, you know, it's going to be a new day for the ACC. You know, a couple of years ago, I wrote a story just about Notre Dame's independence. I talked to Bubba Cunningham for a while about it since he's you know, at UNC but has Notre Dame ties. And he talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, if you if you remove sort of the ego dynamics of it, which like, hey, it's college sports, everyone's got an ego, um, that the Notre Dame deal for the ACC was a real win for the league as well as Notre Dame. I mean, do you get a sense that around the league, if you if you take out some of the bluster of Hey, you're either all in or you're all out. That people around the ACC are just like, you know, we're making pretty good money off of this. Like, this is this is good for us as is. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I haven't seen the the full financials or what the deal was, but I think just adding that brand, you you have to say that you have to be excited, and especially the way that they're delivering this year. They're the number two team in the country now. Mm-hmm. If you came in and uh, you know lost half of the games that you played, and, and it was kind of underwhelming, if you will then I think there could be some argument. But right now, with where they are, what they're doing, um, you know, I think it has been nothing but a great addition and, and helped everybody involved. Obviously, Clemson or whomever ends up in the ACC title game will want to win to win. <laughs> As part of the old guard, if you will, which is everyone in the ACC not named Notre Dame, how badly do all 14 teams want Notre Dame to not get that trophy for a one-year rental? <laughs> and what would Notre Dame? What do you suggest Notre Dame does with it right. if they are to uh, to win it? You know, it's it's interesting enough that everybody seems to to ask that question. It's like, do eight, does everybody in the ACC, you know, just want to go against them and and not want them to hold it? And you know, is that true? You know, maybe so to some of the 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 pure bloods, if you want to call them that, the teams that have been here, done that. You know, for this new kid on the block to come around, boss everybody around and win the championship and take take their ball home. Uh, you know, I think that that would be a little disgruntling. But, you know, it is what it is. This is a crazy time. It's a crazy era. Uh, I have not been told that, uh, you know, verbatim by anybody that, you know, they we can't stand Notre Dame. We don't want them to win this. Uh, so I, I think it's ultimately just for fans. It's the best product. And I mentioned that earlier with not having the divisions. If, if Clemson is – number four and Notre Dame is number two in the country. And at the end of the year, they're both, uh, you know, undefeated and have one loss. That's who we want to see play. We don't want to see a six and six team in the ACC championship because they won all six of their divisional games. Like who cares? Like we want to see great football, great teams go at it and ultimately get the product. And, uh, you know, this year we're finally going to get that. 
I mean, you guys would know better than I would. Like, when's the last time the ACC championship game was really like a must-watch event? Uh, my senior year. Carolina, right? You? Yeah, North okay. Carolina had one loss. We were undefeated, number one in the country. I think they were top 10. Like that 11. And, they were like 11 and two, I think, right? Like 11 and two after. I think they only had one going into the okay, game. Maybe I think we were their one, second yeah. loss. Um, that but that game was, yeah, I mean, took, it was right? high scoring, all crazy. And winner, you know, was in the playoffs. So it was interesting enough where that was, if I, yeah, that was the last time that it like mattered, mattered who's going to the playoff or not. How'd you, we, we've seen some uh, pictures circulating on social media of your uh, Irish fandom. Maybe it's the, the red hair. I don't know what it was from back in the day. You obviously ended up at Clemson. Can you kind of take us to give us a clip notes version of how you end up there? Yeah. So funny enough, uh, my father and his whole side of the family is from, uh, you know, the Plymouth area. So right there near South Bend and, and just grew up Notre Dame fans and, and grew up watching. Obviously, it's one of the only things on TV back then. Uh, so you turn it on, you're watching those guys play, and and you just become this fan. And it's it, it's hilarious that you know throughout my my youth and and growing up that it was kind of like Notre Dame and Tennessee. Those were my two schools, just because of my mom's side and my dad's side. Uh, and if my dad had it his way, you know, I would have been a Gold Domer and I would have been playing at Notre Dame. And uh, interestingly enough, he uh, he met Dabo Sweeney before we headed up to South Bend. So I think that kind of uh, that kind of sealed the deal. I got his approval and uh, that, that was kind of it, but it, it's, it's so funny how I've been able to keep that kind of a secret uh, really my whole career up until this game. And uh, you know, people found out about it. Then I, I shared some pictures and it's like cats out of the bag. Were you recruited <laughs> by Andy? Heavily? Yeah. Yeah, I was coach, uh, coach Weiss. Okay. I was a little curious about um, if you could give us some insight on the culture that Dabo has built down there. Cause I think that, um, as Notre Dame looks at like, all right, who's at the top of the mountaintop and who took a path there that we could take? Um, I don't think Notre Dame looks at Alabama or LSU or maybe a little Ohio State as like, we could sort of copy that. I do think they look at Clemson and think, all right, this isn't very far off from how we would want to do it. So like, what's, could you just sort of describe the culture that Dabo has built there and like why why it has been as enduring as, as long lasting as it, as it has. Yeah. It's, it's such a fascinating thing to see a guy who had zero coordinator experience, zero head coaching experience, get thrown into this fire and, and basically talk his way in to being a head coach and stay there. Just his, his attitude, his positive outlook on life, the way that he prepares with such purpose. It's so funny. I've heard when he first got the job or, or was offered the job, he had already been planning and, and had this like notebook of, of things of when I get my program, wherever it is, wherever it is, I'm ready. And, you know, I have these things in place that I want to do. I, I know how I want to treat my guys, my coaching staff, my, my families. And, and it's been something that he's been able to sustain at an unbelievable rate and, and length of time. I mean, he's going on, I believe year 10 and to be able to, you know, see the success and how quickly, it has happened, it has really been astonishing. So I think it really starts with with kind of his overarching principle. And that is, you know, having a genuine appreciation for everybody's job, you know, from the the managers on the team to the walk-ons to the people that clean our building to the coordinators and star players. Like it, it does not matter who you are. We all have a very important role on this team. And if we don't do it to the best of our ability, we can't win. So that was something where okay, now everybody who's involved feels important. Everybody who's involved feels like 
they can make a difference. And, and it's, it's easy to say that I think when you're young and early on, you know, you try to win the team, if you will. Well, that's just who he is. It, it's not a front. It's not an act. And, and I think that was one of the most important lessons that I ever learned from him was just having that appreciation. The other thing I think is, you know, just the way that they serve these, these players as men first and then as football players, another super cliche thing to say, but it, it's so true how it translates to the football field that they take care of everything else. And then they, they know that the football piece is, is going to handle itself. And, and I think that it has never been truer with, even when you walk into the, the facility, you know, if you go over to, to Clemson and you see their amazing Reeves facility, the first thing that you see in there is a thing called Paul Journey. And that's how they work on resumes. They get, you know, internships. They, they become better people with community service. All of those things matter so much more to Coach Sweeney than winning a football game. And I think that's how, you know, you see in recruiting the great success they have, just who he is. People want to be around that. And, and of course, you can't just do that with, you know, FCS level talent. Like you have to go out and get dudes. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, he's this amazing magician and, and all this stuff just happens, but just his, his electric personality, you know, it's almost contagious that you want to be around them and you want to be a part of that program, the sustainability of these coaches. They, they don't want to go anywhere else. They have, they have a great setup. Their families are able to come to the facility anytime they come to practice. The kids are running. I mean, anywhere you see there's, there's these young kids running around the building and, uh, you know, we have team dinners with everybody's family. So I, I think when you just add all that stuff up together, Pete, uh, just and incredibly focused on the details and the little things and understanding those things matter. When you conjure all that up, it, it's what you see from him and the success that he has. And it, it's easy, easily, uh, you know, to, to just do it over and over again. If you're anybody, anybody can do that. You know, they, they can care. They can love their staff, love their personnel. So I think what you just said there about Notre Dame being able to mimic that, it's not, it's not a hard thing to do. It's not some big secret. Eric, I'm curious, in your role, um, you know, everyone comes from somewhere, every cultural analyst played or, or attended a school that's on TV every week. But you know, Desmond Howard, Michigan, David Pollock, Georgia, Matt Leiner, USC, you name it. All those guys are a lot further removed from their heyday than you are. I mean, you're talking and podcasting about group of men you played for just five years ago, who you helped kind of build this program into where it is. I'm sure it's easier when they're in the playoff every year since you've been doing this, but, but how do you balance um, your criticisms of them publicly, knowing that these are, are friends and mentors to you? Yeah, it's funny enough, I've only had to do that twice, right? There's only been two losses. <laughs> right, on this my, podcast, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, it's, only, it's only happened a couple of times when you look at a, a Clemson loss, and, and you know it's been very fortunate for me uh, you know, as a Clemson alum, as, as someone who is very proud of their university and their team uh, for what they're able to do. But at the end of the day, Matt, you know, I, I hold my career and, and really value my, um, you know, just way that I do this job at a very high level. I, I want to be extremely fair. I want to be very factual uh, with regarding, you know, creating an opinion, you know, there, there are certain things that I might see on film that somebody else watches and they're like, there, there's no chance that happens. Uh, but ultimately fairness is something that I want to always have, uh, and always be very forthright with, with my career. Um, so I think that just at an early, you know, outing with, with being with Clemson, doing some radio, you know, understanding that there are going to be times 
where I have to, to be critical and I have to pull out and, and say, Hey, look, this is what went wrong. This is why this went that way. Now for anybody, I, I'm not going to be some jerk who, who says you suck that this, this game plan was terrible and, and talk negatively like some folks will. Uh, so I think that that's something that it just comes with the territory. Cool. Well, Eric, appreciate you uh, joining us. We've come a long way. We, we did this right. in our uh, late great ESPN Spreecast five years ago, and you're a player, and it turned into half-hour beard talk. You're a little <laughs> bit cleaner shaven now that you're on TV, but I'm glad you had time to join us. Um, congrats on your, all your success. Uh, DCC Network, and with your own podcast, we want to plug that here. Go ahead with, with Kelly Cramblich. Yeah, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. But we have a podcast. We cover all the ACC teams. Uh, it's very Notre Dame heavy these last episodes. So guys, go listen. <laughs> uh, it's called Gramlick and Mac Lane. You can find it uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, and we, we have a lot of fun and, and really dive into each team, each and every week, each matchup, and uh, just try to deliver the best product for you guys. Eric, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully, I will see you in Charlotte. Come uh, on, that's right. December 19th. You live there, right? I live there. So regardless, we, all right. we can all you know, go <laughs> somewhere, need, see each other. We need some like, uh, you know, brewery recommendations. Exactly. Like, we'll load you up. Go to those. Um, <laughs> it, uh, I cannot wait for Clemson Notre Dame Part 2. That's going to be a lot of fun. You and me both, man. Thank you guys again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Eric. That was former Clemson offensive lineman Eric McLean. So I think I'm trying to go through our offensive lineman guest list roster. We've had what Ryan Harris, Aaron Taylor, Mike McGlinchey, uh, Eric McLean. Am I forgetting? I feel like I'm forgetting one that we've had. Uh, Grace Rayner. Grace Rayner. Grace Rayner. I mean, I feel like if you put Grace Rayner on top of Mike Tarico, you might get an offensive lineman. Um, that's a possibility. But uh, yeah, that was. I thought I really appreciate his insight from the Clemson point of view post-game, uh, particularly their offensive line, because they certainly got a lot of heat from that, uh, that their line's performance against Notre Dame. And I'm not sure that I would have said that their offensive line was just a, an epic disaster, but it certainly was not maybe as good as or as high-functioning as it was when Notre Dame played Clemson in the playoff. I would say to the naked eye, it looked like they got pushed around. Now, I thought it was very telling and enlightening to hear him speak about uh, – Clemson's offense line almost verbatim in the exact same way Mike McGlinchey did about Notre Dame's a couple weeks ago. Not necessarily in their performance, but in how you created the performance because it's just so hard for someone not in that huddle, not in those meeting rooms to, to know who's responsible for what and why things went a certain way. And to hear him say the play calling didn't exactly help them out there either um, was enlightening as well. So uh, that, that's always been, though, I mean – the, the, the knock, if you want to call it a knock on Clemson, even getting back to 2015 was how do they play this well and score this many points without an elite offensive line? Um, you know, it's like basketball on grass. They just distribute the ball really well. They have playmakers. They get them in the space. And the rest is history. They don't necessarily have that in their arsenal this year, at least right now, as far as the health of that program. Um, but we, we know they're capable of it, that's for sure, especially seeing them in the second half the other day. Yeah, I'm certainly – I, I was spinning it forward. Notre Dame heads to Boston College this weekend, the Phil Jakovic reunion. Uh, I, I've talked about this with a few other people. I was curious what you think about it. I think in a, in a normal circumstance, if like Dennis Grossel was still Boston College's quarterback, that like Notre Dame's letdown potential would be very high. I think Jakovic sort of works against Boston College if you're trying to keep, catch Notre Dame not paying attention. Uh you saw Dennis Grossel play. <laughs> I mean, 
It was. Phil, I mean, you could look ahead past them. Phil. Phil does. Phil's going to break probably every passing record there is there in one year. It seems like, at least based on the the, the tenor of the notes I get from them every week, he he's had a really good year. Um, the the part that uh, would worry me is they're not worry. The, the part that would worry me is if this wasn't Boston College's ninth game in nine weeks. I believe like these guys are hanging out for dear life. We saw it last week. They they got by Syracuse in a three point game that wasn't as close as the final score indicated, but still was closer than it should have been. Um, and, and that didn't really surprise me. I just think, you know, that it's a, a young program that's uh, still finding its way. Uh, Jeff Halfley and that new staff has done a tremendous job. And, and look, it's the Red Bandana game against Saturday. It'll be different without fans, of course. You know, we've let parents in the stands at Boston College right now. But that's an emotional day where. We've seen Boston College in years past win games they had no business winning under that. They ran USC off the field the first time they did that in 2014. They beat Miami pretty good a few years ago, Florida State. Uh, so th- I think emotionally there's a lot working in Boston College's favor, particularly uh, the history element, as we don't need to repeat here, um, uh, with 1993 as well. But um, I-, I just think football-wise, I-, I mean, that's a – if not a banged-up team, a, a team that, that – probably has very little left to give uh, just based on all they've left out there so far and how they haven't really come up for it yet. Yeah, that'll, that'll be an interesting part of the dynamic because, I mean, last week they struggled against Syracuse, which is a bit ominous when I think I think they beat them 14-13. If you're only it was, getting... it was six, I think it was 16-13. It was 16-6 late. Now, the Dome's always tricky for some reason, and Syracuse started a new quarterback who absolutely gave them life, if nothing else, yeah. into thinking they could win. But, I mean, we'll get to that a couple weeks from here. I just hope Syracuse can feel the team by December 5th. I mean, they are bad Possible. shape, really bad shape. Yeah, just like if I'm looking at Boston College and offensively they're only getting 16 on Syracuse, that does not lead me to believe that it's going to it's going to look a lot closer to Georgia Tech or Pittsburgh or Louisville um, in terms of how Notre Dame is going to play this game defensively. I would – I just – I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, I think Phil Jakovic's probably in for a pretty long afternoon. I don't know if I go that far. I mean, I think when you look at that roster, he's still, you know, raw talent in recruiting profile better than pretty much everyone they have. Now they have a great tight end in Hunter Long, but it's just a weird team. And, and, you know, I I think a lot of the credit goes to that staff for giving them to believe, especially without really getting their hands on them amid the pandemic. But you look at Boston college across the board um, nothing like they don't do anything great, at least statistically. You know what I mean? Like, there's you yeah. look at them, and there's no reason they should be what, five and three now. I think. I mean, they're 13th in total offense uh, in the ACC. They are. Well, they're up to fourth now in total defense, but but I think that has to do a lot with the opponent. They're just coming off as well. Uh, we say all this, and they were a a fill deep ball away from beating Clemson the week before Notre Dame beat Clemson. I mean. Uh, I think they'll get up for this game. I just don't know if they have enough one through 85 to, to hang with Notre Dame. Yeah, I think that's sort of where I, I, I come down on it. It's just like, all right, how do they, you know, how do they find the material to sort of hang in this? Um, because, I mean, you're right. They absolutely have been like watchable television now. Like they're, they're a fun team to watch. Um, whereas I feel like under Adazio, they were not. Um, you know, and like, look, it's, Notre Dame played Boston College at Fenway Park. That was 
one of that was certainly that was, that was the, the worst most, team of the Adazio era. Yeah. yeah, and it was like the most talented offense of the Kelly era, and it like sort of went down to the end a little bit. Um, you know, it was it was not a situation where we felt like BC was going to upset them, but they didn't beat them forty five to three either. Um, so I'm I don't know. There there are some weird dynamics to this game. I I guess I just maybe we just agree to disagree. I just think the Jakovic factor, like if I'm Notre Dame, like that gets my attention, at least if I'm on defense, like I, it, I it really want to get honestly, that guy. It would get my attention more if Ian Buck didn't just come off the game of his life because then you're, you have to hear all week about did no, how did Notre Dame screw this up? Why is the better quarterback at BC? Yeah. Why is it? There's none of that now. Ian Book erased all that by leading them to a win over number one. So I think that had a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with, I guess, the, um, tampering down of the Djurkovic motivation factor. Because, look, I mean, Phil Djurkovic did not go to Notre Dame to transfer in two years. I mean, he's got a chip on his shoulder as well, and I think there's a lot sure. of people at BC that probably want to uh, play their tails off and win for him. It's um, easier said than done as that is. But we keep coming back to 1993. I understand it was Boston College. They'd just be a number one. The, the one that always sticks in my mind, um, probably because I covered it, is – uh, what is now the second biggest win of the Kelly era when they beat Oklahoma and they did everything they could to basically give away a game to a, a 500 pit team a week later, who in turn did everything they could to, to hand it right back to Notre Dame. And in the end, Notre Dame ends up winning in like triple overtime. That, that's the game I would circle more than uh, the 93 BC one. If we're looking for a parallel or comparison, uh, obviously Brian Kelly's still the head coach and that has something to do with it. But um, I mean, I, I, I you can't tell me Notre Dame doesn't have a little bit of a letdown after everything they put into. It must. Yeah, they must. And I, there's, there's no doubt like Notre Dame is not going to come out and win 45 to three. You know, I, I just sort of look at Clark Lee and the way that he puts together his defense. Like there's another really chip no, on the shoulder, by the way, if yeah, we're going to play that. See, that's, yeah, that's, that's part of it. He's really going <laughs> to stick it to BC and their athletic director who's not there anymore. Um, <laughs> so, I just sort of look at Clark, like Clark Lee is seems to be sort of letdown proof. I mean, his personality is that way. And I don't know. I just, I could see Notre Dame's offense coming back to earth somewhat hard on Saturday, but I don't think that defense is going to look slack at all. I mean, I guess that sort of gets you to the point of like, if you're doing a score prediction, I mean, I Boston college at two touchdowns feels like a max. Like I can't see Boston College scoring more than 14 points. So they Notre Dame opened as a 16 point favorite. They've been bet down to 13 and a half right now. Over under was at 51 and a half. Now is at 49 and a half. I thought 16 and a half was a little high. 13 and a half sounds more reasonable because I could easily see a 31 17 game or 28 14 or something of that nature. Um, I will go with Notre Dame. Uh, 28-17. I, I think Boston College hangs around for a half and they, they just don't have enough at the end. I, I'm i going to go a little bit beyond that. I'll go 31-13. Um, I just I just have a very difficult time seeing BC scoring. Um, but I don't. I certainly don't think Notre Dame is going to blow them off the field. Um, I just think that after seeing BC really had to put everything they had into the Clemson game, they got beat up pretty good in that game. Like I don't. I don't think Boston College is going to have all this new whiz bang stuff. Um, right. I mean, there's the, you know, getting them off sides, the incredible touch on catch before, 98 yard 
fumble return for a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, they almost had of, a punt return touchdown as well. A lot of things had to be perfect for them to be in the position to win that yeah. game. Um, which, yeah. I mean, that's usually what happens when you play number one and you're not a fellow top five or top 10 team like exactly. was last week. So um, I'm with you. Uh, we're getting to the point here, Pete, uh, because we keep patting you on the back for – uh, picking the Clemson game. You said Notre Dame would have one regular season loss. And so after this, oh, at North Carolina, um, first Syracuse at Wake Forest, that is Syracuse notwithstanding, it, it including Boscott. Notre Dame has a tougher road, I think, than we're giving them credit for here as far as, all right, snap your fingers, beat number one, you're going to beat everyone. North Carolina is capable. I mean, North Carolina is very bipolar, for lack of a better term. I mean, they, they are scary as hell on offense. Uh, but but it's kind of Mac Brown's mo. God bless him, and he always likes my links to this podcast. So I don't want to throw him under the bus here if you're listening, Mac Brown. But um, <laughs> you know his teams have a habit going back to the early days of his career of, of, of losing games they shouldn't. And they have other habits of scoring 50 points out of nowhere. I mean that's a really good team, and I think Notre Dame's grateful to have a bye after the emotion of these coming two weeks after that. Uh, but that's a good team, and you know. I feel like we, we've hyped up Wake maybe a little bit more than they deserve just because Notre Dame has had their way with them so far. But but Wake's a team that always plays its best football toward the end of the season. And Notre Dame's getting them at a worse time than they would have uh, had that game gone as a scheduled in early October. Yeah, but I, would, I think North Carolina is scary as hell. I mean, that that's a game that they're, they are a drunk enough football team that like they could, <laughs> hit you, they could hit you just perfectly and be like, whoa, where did that come from? That's... That's going to be an awesome game. Um, the Friday after Thanksgiving, you know, Notre Dame. There's, there's the stakes are considerably lower because Notre Dame beat Clemson. Like we don't have to worry about tiebreakers. Like Notre well, Dame. Would, would we if Miami finished with one loss? Uh, no, um, because Clem, as long as Clemson wins out, because the t- the tiebreaker would be like the t- you're sort of like this round robin head to head where Notre Dame has not played. Miami, but Clemson has played Miami. So they Clemson, have, gotcha. Clemson beat Miami. Notre Dame has the tiebreaker over Clemson. So uh, Miami and the ACC would love that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Manny Diaz and Pat Narduzzi can commiserate <laughs> together over a beer at some point. But yeah, just uh, I, the stakes of that game. Like Notre Dame does not have to win the game to go to the ACC championship, but obviously it would eliminate the lose the ACC championship. Yeah, you, you, you don't want to go into that game with no, of course all not. or nothing. Um, yeah, it just is. Um, but there's that's a game that Notre Dame clearly could lose. Um, I don't think this is – Boston College is one of them. Syracuse clearly is not. And then uh, Wake Forest is – I think it's like you said earlier, if you're getting Wake Forest in September, maybe. But that's not a super deep roster. Um, by the time you get to the end of the year, that's that's a difficult proposition for them too. That's interesting. I, I think weight gets better usually out the course of the year, so I mm-hmm. think it's a little bit tougher, okay. especially where it lands right now because the big question about Notre Dame before Clemson, and we looked at the matchups, we thought Notre Dame had a chance, but was, you know, who was Notre Dame playing? Louisville? Is that the best team they played? Like, can yeah. they really be fully prepared for this game without having played um, anyone? And, and even, you know, someone Notre Dame told me, I wish we played Wake Forest because, you know, they're not Clemson, but they're better than everyone else we played yeah. so far. It would have got us something. So, uh, getting Wake Forest uh, in the same half of the season where you've got the ACC title game the week after, you've got North Carolina before that, or two weeks before that. Um, I, I just think the second half of the schedule is uh, remarkably tougher than the first half, um, which isn't saying much, but but that, that's the reality here for Notre Dame. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think it's 
I don't I don't think it's tough enough that is going to trip up Notre Dame other than North Carolina, but you know, could you could we see a Virginia Tech 2019 kind of game or even a Virginia Tech 2018 kind of game? I mean, Virginia Tech I think was winning at halftime or it was like right 20, there at halftime. 2018. Yeah, the one in Lane Stadium I'm talking about. Um think, you know, it was close. It was like 17-16 or something. Yeah, and then it, they it like sort of blew them out in the second half. <laughs> yeah. Like I could just see a game that is under pressure at halftime against maybe Boston College or maybe Wake Forest, but it's difficult for me to see that throughout the rest of the game. North Carolina? Yeah. Carolina go down to the final drive. They they have a really good offense. They sometimes take two quarters to warm up um, and will lead a very spirited comeback that falls short um, like they did against Virginia and Florida State. But, I mean, you had a really good quarterback with a really good arm and a number of really good running backs who keeps everyone on defense honest. Um, and that, that, That's going to be a a fun game as well. Not that yeah. we're looking past Boston College or trying to will this upside into existence. Looking past Boston College or the second bye week, um, which is going to happen, is going to be merciful for the media as well. So uh, until uh, this weekend, I'm pretty sure that I will be at Chestnut Hill covering the game to be determined. Where will Pete be when he records next? Yeah, I will, I will let you know. It may uh, may come down to uh, getting a COVID test, so I travel uh, to travel to Massachusetts. Which we, We're recording this now late afternoon Tuesday. Notre Dame only had two positives Monday. I don't think... If there was carnage out of Saturday, I think it would rear its head in the Wednesday tests. Correct. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. Um, so we'll I know see. talking to people at Notre Dame, they are much more concerned about the partying on campus all day mm-hmm. Saturday than they are about those 15 minutes. I mean, I, I got a text from someone at BC this morning saying, you tell me, are we playing this week? I haven't seen any numbers yet. So. <laughs> I think that I, they I, will play this well, week. At least Clemson has a bye. Um, as devastating as that would be for them if something were to have happened. Um, Definitely. As a Saturday night. By the way, I, I can't let you go without giving it back to you. You were all over everywhere last week. Paul Feinbaum show, college game day. But I am currently recording from a room that has been featured on Room Readers or, so, or Rate My Room. By I want to know why, like, I don't get this view for the podcast. I get this, like, clot vanilla. Because no closet. one, you're the only one who can see this right now. Oh, I'm only goodness. broadcasting to you. When I'm broadcasting to the nation and to the same Twitter account that's giving Ted Cruz a zero out of 10 and giving me an eight out of 10. Um, it's a strong effort, uh, man. The, sh- the Shamrock is really moving up in the world. We may have to. Uh, what, you, what you can't see in the background is like my kid eating pizza crumbs, like behind the camera or anything <laughs> like that. But I'm good with appearances. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will be back on Saturday post game Notre Dame Boston College. Matt will be in Chicago. Maybe I'll be in South Bend. Maybe I'll be in the press box in Chestnut Hill. Who knows? It will be. Uh, it will, that's our uh, our hook to get you to for, listen for all the Saturday. beer talk about North Carolina. I mean, if you go to Boston, you, you, you'll have some options there, assuming they're open. Yeah, definitely. So until Saturday, we'll be back. Keys, Matt, I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us for the latest episode of the Shamrock. Mm-hmm.